Hey guys, welcome back to another edition of Chop Shop Sports. I'm joined again with NBA Chop Shop himself. Sean, how you doing today? Paul, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me back. Looking forward to chopping up again. So we're here again today to talk episodes three and four of the Jordan documentary, which focused on primarily Dennis Rodman, Phil Jackson, and the bad boy Pistons. You kind of, I'm sure... Sean, you've seen the bad boys 30 for 30 kind of gives you the flip side of that from the Jordan perspective. We've seen it from Isaiah's eyes, Bill Lambier. We've seen it from their side. Now you're seeing that 90, 91, you know, that three year stretch from Jordan's side, which I thought was really, really cool. Yeah. I mean, we all remember the bad boys 30 for 30, like you said, and that in the fab five, or uh, were two of the better basketball documentaries that I remember seeing. Jim Valvano's run uh, was was really well too. But I think this uh, this ten part series we have here, ten hours, is going to give it a little bit of an advantage. Yes, and it, it'll probably replace it in terms of um, most memorable, definitely the highest production value. But like you said, seeing the flip side of it, it's always good. It's always good to see both sides of a story. So let's start with where episode three kind of end of episode two. You got a glimpse of it. Episode three, they go into it. And I said last uh, podcast when we talked that I was really excited about those Dennis Rodman 48 hours mm-hmm. <laughs> and that, you know, 120 hours did not disappoint. Like what I would expect somebody like Dennis Rodman to do, like he did it and I was not surprised that he didn't come back after 48 hours. Were you? Yeah. Um, I was wondering when they were going to stop that counter because <laughs> you saw it going and I was like, yep. oh, that's a cool thing. They're stopping at 48. No, no, just kept nope. going and going. <laughs> then it reset <laughs> and it was, yeah. <laughs> no, that was great how they did it. They've done a lot of creative things like that. Um, also, like showing other people in the documentary like someone's interview and they asked yep. them right there on the spot. Like when you think of this, I thought that was a very interesting um, way to get good reactions and honest reactions out of these guys. But yeah, the Dennis part was very unique to Dennis Rodman. There's few situations in history of basketball where that goes that way. You have a coach that has a deep understanding of the player and how he ticks as much as you could with Dennis Rodman and that was the way to to handle him uh like Phil Jackson said he didn't I think actually Dennis said he didn't see me as a basketball player I was a friend and yep saw me as a great friend yeah, I believe so, he I said. Mean, that goes to show you the hyper awareness coming from Phil Jackson and really managing the personalities as much as coaching the X and O's of basketball The, you know, we, we all know Dennis Rodman, you know, our generation knows Dennis Rodman as, you know, for lack of a better word, like a lunatic, like crazy antics and crazy costumes and going to North Korea, like all these weird things that he does. And people forget that he was one heck of a basketball player. Like you don't get the leniency that he had if you can't hoop. Yeah. And... And, you know, Jordan, 
said it when they came back when they were going to ease Dennis Rodman back into conditioning, and it took him four laps to catch him. Like the man was an animal, and his on-ball defense. People people talk about you know current guys and the help they have defensively. That was Jordan's second three p biggest help in my opinion. Somebody that can lock up the best score on the other team is so vital when you got a guy like MJ that can score and now you give him a break on defense. Look at a modern era. You got Clay Thompson who can guard the point guard so Curry can use his energy on offense. The 2012-2013 that Heat team with Shane Battier. Now you get guys that can give your star a break defensively. Like that's a value valuable asset and that's what Rodman gave the Pistons and the yeah, Bulls. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, like you said, the very physical game, and that was used to every advantage that Dennis could use. Um, uh, there hadn't really been a guy that could that could play with Larry Bird at the time. Rodman was was there for that, um, and then you have Pippen, who's extremely well known for his defense. Jordan, who was all defensive player like every year. Yep. So putting together one heck of a line uh, in terms of uh, the defensive end in Chicago. Yeah, they could definitely defend. They were a great defending team. Um, Back to the, you know, pre-Bulls-Rodman story, I think it's really fascinating. Like, he wanted to hurt Jordan. When Jordan came into the lane, and the fact that, the Bulls welcomed him and Scott even they asked Scotty how he fit on the team. And he said like a hand in a glove to me, that was, that tells me all you need to know about the mindset of Jordan and Scotty is like, they're not looking, they're not playing basketball for friends. They're out there to win. Yeah. Uh, another good point. Um, I really am confident that Rodman works on one out of the 30 teams in the league at the time, because when, they glossed over that year when in San Antonio, but I did some digging and he was, yep. uh, it was a nightmare his time in San Antonio and yep. they're trying to trade him. And the only team, yeah, the only team that wanted, wanted was Chicago and it was the assistant coach, I believe at the time that was like, Hey, I know Robin comes. Or yeah, assistant GM. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, he's like, I know he comes with all this um, baggage, but it, it will work. The way he does X, Y, and Z will really help here. And you commented on Jordan embracing him, especially after all the bad blood between them and the Pistons. And it really reminded me of Kobe because I know how much Kobe emulated the way Jordan approached things and everything about Jordan. He learned a lot about uh, MJ through Phil. And I remember whenever I'd watch the Lakers growing up, it would seem like each year the Lakers would – maybe not each year, but over time would add players that Kobe had beefs with, or he would go, or they would go and try and get guys who never backed down to Kobe that like in years prior on different teams. I know like the easy mm-hmm. one to, that comes to mind is the, the Matt Barnes one, but again, it happened with Ron Artest and other players. And I think it was like <laughs> that, that respect factor that when someone is that much of an alpha like MJ and Kobe is or were, and then there's the guy on the other side of the court that 
that knows that and then doesn't back down, that's the guy you want in your corner too. So I, I really appreciated that part of the, the doc. <clears throat> he, Rodman personifies, he is the prime example of love to play with them, hate to play against them. Yes. Like he and, and everybody talks about the great scores in today's NBA. I don't think there's one guy in today's game that Rodman wouldn't, go toe-to-toe and eat their lunch. You know, we talked about how great of a scorer KD is. You think KD is going 48 minutes against Dennis Rodman? Like, I I just 50. don't see – I just don't – I don't see anybody KD's doing him 50. <laughs> there is no way KD – I just saw something. I saw something on Instagram today, and it was like, you know, talking about what Kevin Durant would do if, like, he played against Larry Bird. And that kind of just like got my fire rolling. I couldn't wait to have that. Dennis Rodman would lock him up. And the fact that KD, like players today should be watching what (laughs) happened, you know, in those finals. And like dudes are throwing haymakers, clotheslining, two hands to the back and getting common fouls. Like there's no, there's no two shots in the ball, you know, no ejections going on from these like heinous acts like you're not that's not happening i see Uh, some of those compilations of like fist fights in the middle of the games it's hilarious (laughs) like i can't believe it's basketball i was my mom was there and i'm the every every fight scene with the pistons (laughs) like they're showing knocking dudes over clothesline i'm sitting there laughing and my mom's like what's so funny and i was i can't believe like it's it's two different sports yeah, and, and I looked it up. So the flagrant foul was implemented in the 80-81 season, but it didn't mean it. It was like just a type of foul, basically. And ba- basically, the way the Pistons played brought on the flagrant foul. Because I think it was the 90-91 season is when the flagrant foul became a severe penalty. The two shots in the ball or one shot in the ball, whatever it is. Um, that was in 1991. Like the Pistons, basically the league was okay with the Celtics and Celtics and Lakers throwing hands. They didn't like that team in Michigan doing it and like enacted this severe penalty, which rightfully so. Some of those things aren't basketball. Like shouldn't be in the game of basketball. Um, but I just thought that was an interesting, uh, interesting. Yeah, they, they took their piece time. of knowledge. Mm-hmm. Getting getting some reins on some of those fights. I mean, geez, eighty eighty one, the league <laughs> league had a few yep. years under its belt by then. It, I think, the original rule was the flagrant foul meant that the coach could pick the shooter. So you're picking your best free throw shooter, I assume. So you're getting two points basically, but you're not getting the ball back, which is really the biggest thing in today's NBA is with that flagrant foul. You know, A, you could be ejected, but B, you're giving the team two ball, two two shots and the ball. You know, that's a five. Yeah, I mean, and then you factor in the idea of um, accumulating um, them and getting suspended for a game six of a final series. Of a finals that you know could could be could be hurtful. It was funny. I was when that Jazz. I think when the Bulls were up three one um, against the Jazz, and it popped up. I was like, ah. At the, and at this point, nobody's ever come mm, back. It's a, mm. it's a wrap at this point. I, I do want to say one more thing about the Dennis Rodman before we move on. Um, so, of course, like with the hindsight, the the 48-hour 
like vacation is is fun and it's it's funny mm-hmm. to like hear about and learn about but that would suck at the time um i know the bulls had they got the job done but like in the years prior but i'm just trying to put myself in the shoes as as a bulls fan at the time and i would hate that if my if like a key member of the team was like hey uh I need 48 hours. And it's not like he needed 48 hours to, uh, I guess maybe that was Dennis Rodman's version of recovering. Um, so maybe. Yeah. That's what I said. That's not a vacation. That's a part. No, that's not resting. That's yeah, a party. But maybe. Or how about Carmen Electra? How about when MJ knocks on the door and Carmen Electra's like, I didn't know he was missing <laughs> the season. What do you think? If someone told me this was like a hundred years ago, I'd believe it. Like that was—it's really not that long ago in the in the scheme of like no. sports. <laughs> like, like we were alive when I, that happened. Like Dennis Rodman was just different, like that's man. Like, like that's uh, cool. the same way a uh, player. You talk about like—I'm not sure if it was a a mental uh, breakdown in his part or like exhaustion, but like you hear about players going through a panic attack now, and it's like they take a week and everyone on the team's confused at the time and like they need to take time to recover the same way that some people need to just go in their home and get away from everything. Maybe that the equivalent in Dennis's mind was just letting that all loose with the kamikazes out in Vegas. Yep. <laughs> and I mean, they kind of glossed over, but the dude, they tried to really kill himself. did. He said like, they he kind fell of, asleep. They like built it up. And then, like, kind of just shut it right down and kind of moved past it. But, like, the dude tried to and, – and I don't blame them for not prying too much on Dennis there. I'm sure Dennis would love to talk about it, maybe. You know, I don't know what he's thinking or what his mental state is now. But, like, that's some – like, could you imagine that happening today? Like, that's – like, think about the Plaxico Burrs and the gun incidents that have happened and the backlash or, you know, reaction from those. Like, that – you know – I kind of just glossed through something that was pretty monumental. Um, and I don't think Jordan wins that second three peat without oh, yeah, Rodman. I mean, it, it gets it gets dark. He might get one quick um, with that incident because, like you said, they mention it and then they move on to the next thing, and then you're laughing about him going and partying in Vegas, and it's like, wait, ten minutes ago, wasn't this guy going to kill himself? And yeah, uh, yeah, wow. <laughs> Like you said, you don't want to make the, the the hour long thing about that, but I almost wonder how much of a disservice it is to not really tell that side of of the story. And and like you mentioned a little bit, like guys are still going through that now. People think you're getting paid thirty million dollars a year to play play a game. I mean, like that doesn't mean you don't go through hard times. And mental health awareness week is next week. Like NBA guys still go through some dark stuff. And I think that could have been a little bit talking a little bit about that could have helped um, or at least highlight what the league can do does now to help with mental health. I don't know if they do anything, but that could have just been something I think they could have done a better job with. Yeah. Again, I think if the, uh, I think if the NBA was, I know I think it's NBA TV that, uh, that owns all this, but again, if it's Adam Silver pushing, pushing the, if Adam Silver is directing it, that he would have made the, would have pushed the agenda for it again. Uh, unfortunately, I don't think people are, are tuning in and to this documentary to hear that. Correct. Um, as correct. If that's the right thing or not, but 
yeah, there's there's a lot more to there that um, was not shown, and I guess that's our job and our own time to, if you're interested, to go and, and learn about it on our own. Yep. Let's let's move on from from the craziness of Rodman. We'll touch on him probably a little later when we go back to the Pistons. Go to the next part, which was the Phil Jackson, um, the Phil Jackson part of it, which was pretty cool. Um, I mean, we all knew he was a pretty good NBA player. Won a couple titles with the Knicks. Um, the Puerto Rico thing was fascinating. Yeah. To me. So again, I think we talked a little bit about this last week. I read how much Phil loved coaching in Puerto Rico because there wasn't any one best player. It was like a very even lineup. So he could use a lot of his like team building things that was, that were related to native American tribes and like the emphasis on the betterment of the tribe, the betterment of the team. And I think that's Mm -hmm. where a lot, he ingrained a lot of his ideologies into the team there. And you can see how passionate he was running on the court. That was great footage. Uh, but that was yep. also a great background <laughs> to what he brought to the Bulls. You could see a lot of the team stuff he did and how much the players really appreciated him caring about them the same way as if they were in a tribe. <clears throat> yeah, it's that Native American side and the connection he had with Rodman was pretty cool. And I really think without that connection, you know, those three years are completely different. Um but it's it's cool thinking and seeing the one of the greatest, if not the greatest coach in basketball, kind of seeing his career path and him learning everything we, you know, he didn't come up with the triangle offense, but everybody knows, thinks of him about yeah. the triangle offense. Which I thought it was cool, the little diagram they showed of it, it working. And, you know, even Jordan said, Collins wanted to give me the ball. Phil tried to take the ball away from me. But I think ultimately it works better. And we saw it at the end when Jordan's throwing to Paxton. <clears throat> you got guys that can score around you, takes the pressure. Yeah. Off. Um, it, it was interesting to see how, how Phil was so team oriented and ironically has the two arguably two most talented alpha dogs ever for the rest of his career in MJ and Kobe. And it, it goes to show you that yep. the X's and O's may not have been as important as Phil's ability to manage those alphas and get them to both give up the individual stuff for the betterment of the team. And also the, there was, I think there was an appropriate amount, an appropriate nod to Tex winners uh, in the documentary because, yep. like you said, they put together a very powerful uh, m- group of basketball minds in Phil and yep. Tex. And at the time, you had when, when they were both assistants, you had Collins there. I know they got, I know they bounced them out. But then you also had MJ and Pippen and Kerr. Yep. I mean, you had a litany of just basketball genius yep. on that organization. And I and I think what this proved, and it gets taken for granted so much, is how important the coaches, you touched on it, 
you know, people don't look at Co- Coach Spolstra with that big three run and think, wow, he, he did something right. You know, it's LeBron did it. No, it's there was something with the coach, Steve Kerr, figuring out how to get Dre, Clay, and Steph um, and KD all touches and keep them happy. Ultimately, they broke up. But, you know, keeping those guys happy, there's something to that. And not everybody can do it. You look at all the different coaches that have come through and left LeBron's in LeBron's wake. I know we didn't want to talk about him in mm. in these podcasts, but you know, you look at the David Blatt, um, just all the coaches he had, even the Tyron Lue getting pushed out eventually from Cleveland. Like, there's something to be said about the right coach managing egos more so than what plays yeah, you can draw uh, I think now. you can even relate it to what Rodman said about um, getting paid. The, playing the game's easy, but it's everything else is what you get paid for. And I think yep. that translates pretty well to the job of the coach. Like, a lot of people know plays. Anyone can grab a whiteboard and draw an X and O or say, okay, one four flag, give Mike the ball. But again, it's like it's, it's when the ball isn't bouncing <laughs> and those long seasons, it's how you keep – the, how you keep that tribe tight in everyone's eyes, you know, on this, on the same goal. <clears throat> and managing the highs, managing the lows, like the bulls could have crumbled and folded when Pippen said, I'm out. Or when Robin said, I'm on a hiatus, multiple different times, that team could have collapsed and it takes, now I'm not discrediting what Michael did and you know his leadership, but the coach should get some credit there as well. And I think they highlighted that well with Phil Jackson, I think they do a really good job of everybody scratching their head and saying, why is, why, why are the bulls (laughs) getting rid of this guy? Which is really like hindsight 2020. Now it's like easy to criticize criticize at the time. It didn't make any sense. It's like you hear them having one five and then they're on the bus and like they have the radio over playing and it's like everyone knows it's Phil Jackson's last year here and Mike says he's not last year unless Phil's here. It's like what is going on? How is Phil. how is the city of Chicago not like tearing down Chicago's front office at the time? I really don't get that. And and it talks and that that talks to the different the power dynamics of now and then. Like LeBron says, I want this coach. <laughs> the organization says, Yes, sir. You know, back then it was kind of, uh, and 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 that that comes from the money. I don't think there was as much money coming in as there is now. And I think that obviously plays a little bit of a role. Um, I don't have numbers on me, so I don't want to talk too much about that. But that'd be a guess is that the money was different. So them thinking a rebuild, they could keep the loyal fan bases. And something tells me when you have Michael Jordan on your team, you're selling advertisements for 10, 20, 30 years or season tickets or a 10, 15, 20 year commitment. Um, That just seems to be the smart thing. Um, I think Cleveland did the same thing when LeBron came back is it was like, you're getting locked into season tickets for 10 years. Um, But uh, let's, let's talk. You posted, you had a great post today. I loved, uh, loved the post today. Uh, I did watch Aaron Gordon's diss track. It was <laughs> I forgot. Okay. I was trying to think what I posted this one. I didn't even it's remember. No, it was no. It was it was no Dame Dollar, but um, 
I think there was a good use of social. I was going to go either way on that one because the one side of me was like, okay, you're talking about a dunk contest that really no one cares about. And you're making – not only did you like – if you would have tweeted about it, I I still would have been like, all right, buddy, give it up. But then you wrote a song about it. And then if you would have just recorded (laughs) the song, I would have been like, all right, buddy, give it up. But then you go to the lengths of like (laughs) buying, I assume, $20,000 worth of – um, to, uh, of cameras and editing software, or you paid someone fifty grand to do it, and you're just drinking wine during it in some cup. Yep. And I get it; like everyone's dealing with this in their own way. But why, buddy? What are you doing? Come on! <laughs> I want to know in that video if they were playing. I didn't even get that phone for video. I'm not singing. gonna lie; I didn't. Even, I didn't see uh, that. <laughs> I I just saw a minute of it on Instagram, but I saw him on the golf course, and I just brought me back. The last round I played, they had the cup inverted, so like, you know, normally the cup goes down. Well, the cup was up in the air, so all you had to do was hit the cup to get like sink the putt. And I put, you know, there was a, it was funny. Like the running joke was, I heard a tink. Like if you hear a tink, the shot counts. So the par three, I it was like one eighty five into the win. I hit a shot. Dead on the money, and like that's put it six line. inches. I was yeah, like, I heard a ting. Like, that's a hole in one right there. That's a hole in one. <laughs> yeah, everybody saw that, right? No, um, but missed the golf course. But anyway, back to the point. Um, the handshake I thought was so funny. Such a good play on words. The obviously they're talking now that handshakes may never come back, which I just don't see happening. Like it's awkward. Like I've seen people during this time period in various places. And, like, you go to shake their hand, you're like, ah, wait, don't do you do that? Like, what? what's that awkward? I don't think that's going to stay. I think handshakes will come back. But using the current times with, obviously, something monumental, I think was brilliant. The handshake, Michael Jordan being a good, you know, being a good loser, basically, for back-to-back years, shaking their hands. And then the bad boy Pistons walking off the court with eight seconds left in the game. And... Isaiah Thomas defending it or whoever um, might not have been him, but saying basically that's what the Celtics did to us as like his defense for making it. Okay. It didn't resonate with me at all. Um, I don't get why you'd hold what Larry did to you against what Mike never did (laughs) to you. Uh, Cause Kevin McHale, you could obviously see was on the court and shook your hand and, and then, like they kept showing MJ was like, yeah, I, it freaking sucked and I hated it, but that's what you do when you're this competitive and someone beats you, do. you, <clears throat> you look them in the eye, you shake their hand, you say, I'll see you next year. Mike did. He swallowed his pride each time. Yep. I, I was blown yeah. away by how stubborn Isaiah Thomas is to this day about it. And then uh, I, I don't get how you just don't let that go or, or you just don't say, yeah, I mean, I guess like maybe in the most Isaiah, the most that he possibly could admit he was wrong when he was like, look, if I know this would have been a thing 30 years later, we would have just shook their hands. But how do you not just let that go and say yeah. like, we were wrong? And yeah, it was it was the wrong move. And they got <laughs> they got swept. It wasn't close. And I don't know if that makes it better or worse. And you see Bill Ambeer basically with like eight seconds left basically like gather them all up and leave. like they knew what they were doing. It wasn't a, it wasn't something like one person left. It was Bill and beer 
gathering them all up and saying we're leaving. Like it wasn't, and then look the disrespect to the five guys you have still on the court. Like, what? Like your guy? Like forget about the Bulls for a second. Think about, like imagine you're playing those final eight seconds and your whole team is left. Yeah, yeah that would you a really be? Weird look. You know, like there is a lot of, you know, and the fact that Michael Jordan is saying the most competitive person on the face of the earth. I don't think there's any question yeah. about that. When he's saying you man up and shake their hand, like you should listen. And any young player watching this should know you always shake their hand. And, and now the whole you sit around and watch the trophy start. No, you can shake their hand and get off the court, but you don't you don't just walk off without saying yeah, good mean, job like, like you sure, got this. I know Mike Jordan, like you said, he Mike Jordan didn't even talk about sportsmanship. And like he and he was a prick at times. But that doesn't mean like you still you don't lose. You're still supposed to lose the right way, the same way you win the right way. And like that, you learn that at such a young yep. age. Um, sucked that they did it that way. The other thing that I read online and I, and I heard some people talking about was the reason that Bird left was because it was in Detroit, and at the time there was minimal security after those games. So like when the fans would rush on the court, you could catch yourself in there for like a half hour afterwards. But like that wasn't the case. Yeah, but that wasn't the case. Or whenever, safety, safety uh, thing. Yeah, the Bulls beat the Pistons because they were in Detroit. So like the fans definitely weren't going to rush the the floor. So like the safety played zero role in it as a uh, as like arguing why you left early. So yeah, it's a really bizarre situation. It's something that I, is fascinating that we still talk about today. But like, given how bad it is, mm-hmm. and I really don't think it would be talked about if they weren't so adamant that like they're not wrong, like you're you're wrong. <laughs> the I think the sport that has nailed it, and I don't know how many hockey games you go to, but they have nailed it. You celebrate with your team after the game, every game. Like if you've been to a hockey game, you know. That final yeah, buzzer sounds, and you go shake up, your yeah. team's hand. <clears throat> yeah, and Simple. that's how it works every game. Elimination games, you know, you go celebrate with the team, you throw your stick, your gloves up in the air, and the other team, what do they do? They go skate by their goalie, tap them on the pad, then they line up, and they shake hands eye-to-eye like men <laughs> and say, look, we just beat the crap out of each other for four, five, six, seven games. You were the better team this this week. You know, um, baseball doesn't even do handshakes. You go shake your own baseball hand, which I think is cool too. Um, get the cool handshake. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I agree. They can be. They can be for sure. And I kind of like the football, which is kind of what the NBA is now, the mosh pit. Um, you know, you run across the field, the head coaches shake hands, and then, you know, you kind of dap up the players you wanted to congratulate. But you don't need to sit there and go shake everybody's hand that many guys to take you an hour. Um, yeah, I think that is just a fascinating cult. Every sport kind of has their own culture that's developed and grown, and we'll see how it continues to grow. Um, but to me, hockey is my favorite. The, you celebrate with your team, and and what I'm impressed with, they do it like men. Mm-hmm. They sit there, and they watch you celebrate, and then they shake your hand. And to me, if you're a really good player, you're sitting there pissed off, fueling up, thinking – how am I going to train this off season so that I'm over there and not over here next year? And I think that's something, there's something to be said about 
learning from your losses. Um, Cam Newton still gets ripped to this day for how he handled himself after losing to Peyton Manning when he didn't dive on the fumble. Yeah, people don't forget. They got a long memories, man. <laughs> it is funny, though. Like, that's – it's such, like, a like small part. And I think it just speaks to the hatred. I'm sure you watched the Celtics and Lakers. I forget what that one was called. But the Magic and Bird 30 for 30, the four-part one. And Magic said, I think, at the end, he's like, "I, Larry and I were friends. Me and so-and-so were friends. But if they ever put on that Celtic jersey again, like we're going to throw hands. And about, and it was kind of about hating. And to me, that's hating the organization, not the players. But I think Jordan, I don't think he, he hates, hates the Pistons. I think Absolutely he hates, hates the them. guys. He said that he's like, I, I don't, <laughs> I don't know if anybody likes him. I don't know if the, you know if you could find me one person that does like Isaiah. Well, well then you get into I'd the whole ninety-two thing where it's but like, like Isaiah was one of the best players in the NBA, and it's just like you're not going to be on this team because Mike doesn't want you on the team. Simple as that. Like we're going to get, uh, we're going to put everyone and their brother on this team before we put the best point guard in the league on this team. Yeah, no, I'm I'm very interested to see that, um, see that, and I think everybody else is kind of from that team is kind of, kind of grown to like. I think Bill Lambeer is kind of, you can kind of respect his stance and kind of in that kind of f everybody mentality, but Isaiah is so about him that it's, that it's off putting. Bill Lambeer is kind of like, dude, you're setting your ways, like whatever. And, like, everybody knew, including himself, like, knew what he was. The physical presence he bought. He would last all of two minutes Prison. in today's NBA. Yeah, I mean, there's a few things you can count with, with uh, in life. You can count yeah. on tomorrow. The sun's probably going to ro- come, right? The sun's going to come tomorrow. And then also, at the drop of a hat, you can get Billy Lambeer to Skype into any NBA show. And he'll tell you how cool the bad boys <laughs> Pistons were. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, don't get me. That, that is still the Jordan's got six more episodes. The Bad Boy Pistons episode still my favorite 30 for 30. That team is, and you've seen me play basketball. <laughs> I would, that's the type of team I like. I like the value, value heart. Now, what I don't like is the trying to hurt people. There's no place for trying to hurt somebody, but the value hard, look you down and continue with the game. Like yeah, you're not getting any pain, free you're, points. You're remember. Like, And and going back to what I think Rodman said it about Jordan when he was on the Pistons, the NBA didn't have this save the savior um, mentality. Let me see. I have his exact quote here. He said, it wasn't make sure the savior is okay. Like, could you imagine somebody fouling LeBron like that now or Chris Paul? Like, you're getting ejected oh, yeah. on the spot. Uh, getting fine the the bench would do the whole thing where they, like, <laughs> they get up and they act like – uh, there's a 3,000 foot trench between them and the court. And then also like they do the thing where instead of <laughs> going over the sideline, they just run like the baseline and just go like as far as they want. Uh, you, you definitely see that. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the saving the savior complex thing again, speaks to speaks to how much the league has shifted from the brand of the teams to the brand of the players. And I don't know if you remember, maybe two or three years ago, 
uh, Jeremy Lin was outspoken that he was getting fouled in ways that were flagrant fouls for the stars and common fouls for him. And then there was the whole, like, like he brought, I think he brought race into it or somebody brought race into it, which doesn't quite, you know, <clears throat> I think we're talking stardom here. We're not talking race. Like you're yeah. not getting flagrant fouls because you're Asian. You're getting, you know, you're, you're just not a superstar. Like you were, you had your five minutes in the sun with Lynn Sanity, but like LeBron James means a lot to the NBA. Like you were a cool fad, but like yeah, I, I am fascinated by now. the like, stars getting calls because just putting yourself in like the official's mind, you, you're being objective as you can, but then like what part about you leans that way? Because I'd I'd really be interested to hear officials talk about like guys getting calls. Hey, have you? Have you ever have you ever ref before? I did it in your, once. In your time Sucked. as a player. I, I was terrible. You were doing it. It is it is hard. So I I did it for about two years, three years, whatever. And it's like you don't have time to like think about what team. Like good officials don't have time to sit there and think. Oh, you're wearing yeah, black. Or, or you're number Oh, you're wearing black. That's not a foul. a foul. Like. You know, now where that can come in in the NBA is you can go to the monitor and look at it, and that might change. But these the NBA referees study just as much film as the players do. They're sitting there on their flights and they're watching. All right, how does James Harden drive to the basket? What type of contact is he actually drawing? And what? And that's why sometimes you'll see these like bang bang plays, and the refs, the refs never in. Nobody ever steps in for the refs. They never get credit when they make the right call. And they do make the right call a lot. They seem to make wrong calls in really bad situations, but they're making great calls a lot. They don't get the credit. And you're thinking, how did they know that that wasn't going to be a foul or that he was going to do that? So they study a lot of film and they know how guys defend. Um, But it would be cool talking. I, um, I was at a referee seminar one time and Ken Maurer, the slick back hair referee, was there? He was the keynote speaker, and some wise guy goes, "Hey, uh, Mr. Mel, oh, great question. Why don't you guys call great travels question. in the NBA?" And he got, <clears throat> and really, there are the egregious ones, and and there are. Don't get me wrong, and that third step is kind of, you know, can be lenient. But there are a lot of times where guys just make really long two step moves. Or they had that in between dribble and they weren't in contact when they made a first step. And you're allowed to lift your pivot foot. You just can't put it back down. Common misconception with hoopers and refs. Like you can lift your pivot foot. That's not a travel. And I think NBA guys are so acrobatic that they can get away. And things that might look like travels when you slow it down aren't really always a travel. No, it's not. I mean, um, uh, there's great breakdown videos just, um, from B Ball Breakdown. They talk about the zero step and how well Giannis uses it. And Kyrie uses it and Harden uses it. And people don't like what they don't know. They don't like um, innovation that scares them or that their team or player doesn't do. And yeah, that's the part of it. I also am really disappointed in the person that had all night to think of a good question. And then you ask an official, oh, why do you let them travel in the NBA? <laughs> 
like yeah they're so and and that was and it's funny we every time we see him rapping we're like oh we know him like really cool right, experience pay, pay like that would be a sweet job uh, you, you get a good workout Imagine. every night um though the other thing is um you talk about good officials you the the best officials are the ones that are ghosts and you have an official like it probably would take you if you had a really good official you probably wouldn't realize he's a great official until you had him maybe eight times or four years and you're like wow i haven't even noticed that guy i like him uh i also want to get back to the thing about good players yeah. getting calls it's almost like a chicken and the egg thing is like does he get calls because he's a good player or the part of him being a good player is knowing how to get calls because Harden knows how to get them. And I think that just speaks to how good of a player he is. It's not like yep. player X is good. I call foul. It's like I call foul because player X is good at getting fouls. Like that, you know what I mean? It's chicken or the egg thing. There's, I would say there's two parts to Harden getting, and I know we're off topic here, but two parts of that Harden scenario. A, he has the ball in his hand a lot driving towards the basket. A lot. Two, he is really hard to guard. To guard him without mm-hmm. fouling is difficult. Like, you put MJ in today's game, everybody says it, about the ISO and how many points he would score. <clears throat> he would score 40 a night because he would be getting 10 to 12 made free throws every night. Like, he would be at the free throw line so much. He's so hard to guard. And with the hand check fouls that you're getting and the quick bonus, it seems you're in the bonus with eight minutes left to play in the quarter. Like, you don't think Jordan's going to get the ball enough to get to the free throw line. Like, I I agree fully with what you say. Like, is it getting calls because he's good or, like, or he gets – you know what I'm saying? I, I forget how you phrase mm-hmm. it, but, like, yeah, is he getting I'm calls because he's good or is he uh, good because he's getting calls? Because you talk about his production and the points – and I think we've become uh, – so we could be – the same way the conversation in a lot of the media is how everyone has become desensitized to violence because of video games or desensitized to you name it is a lot of the same way we've become numb to some of the scoring numbers that we've seen because we see Trey Young randomly, he'll have 50. Yep. And it's like Trey Young had 50. And then like – Thursday comes around. It's like, wow, Devin Booker had 64. And these numbers, like, yeah, it's impressive because we compare it to things in the past. We compare it to what we know. But when MJ went for 49 in his second year against the best team ever and then goes for 63, like, then in the playoffs the next night when he wasn't taking in the playoffs threes like he i think his career average is like 1.9 threes a game and then also you, you talk about the hand checks 63 is ridiculous yep. they're all tough guarded twos him fading away it, it's incredible like like what you're seeing i i was speechless watching it because uh, as much as I can know how hard that was, just watching it is is something that I I thoroughly appreciate. <clears throat> yeah, for sure, it's something, and that's everybody wants to talk who's better, Michael or LeBron. 
why don't we just appreciate like in 20 years, there's going to be a documentary about LeBron and his, and his run. Like they're inevitably like some tells me when this got released that this was happening in June, like LeBron signed the papers mm-hmm. for his, mm-hmm. like he's bringing camera crews next year. Guarantee it. Like why not? Why can't we just appreciate that the dude is in his 17th, 18th year balling at the highest level where we're comparing him to the bet. So like, why can't we just appreciate like, Hey, like this guy's good. I was getting, I got into an argument with somebody the other day about Russ and Kawhi and their hall of fame chances. And like, just because like, I don't think player X is better than player Y doesn't mean I don't appreciate like what they're doing for the game. Like I think Kawhi Leonard's a lock for the hall of fame. I don't think Russ is doesn't mean I don't think Russ is Russ is one heck of a ball player and we should respect and admire what he does. I think that's something that gets lost with all the social media yeah, and arguments again, that we can't point. just appreciate what um, we're watching. The Hall of Fame in the NBA is different. I'm, I'm, they kind of let everybody in. I don't, I don't know how much you want to use that as a metric, but again, yeah. I, I love the idea of being able to appreciate what someone is doing and it not necessarily being your cup of tea because just because they don't paint it the way you mm-hmm. like the painting to look doesn't mean you still can't appreciate the, the time, effort, and um, varying degrees of success that it has. Again, everyone's, everyone's different. Everyone plays the game different. Some are more successful than others, but for the most part, everyone's trying to do the same thing, and you can appreciate the different paths that guys use to, to get to that thing. Yeah, there's definitely something to be said about yeah, think about the outcome and the finishing. Um and like I I think we're seeing it and rest rest in peace Kobe like we see it with him like we put these guys on such high pedestals. They could be gone tomorrow. Like you just appreciate the game. Um enjoy the time that we have um <laughs> with these guys cuz they're not going to be around forever unless you're Vince Carter. But other than him like Everybody's got a clock. Even LeBron, I think he's playing until Bronny gets to the league. But everybody's got a clock. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to next week's episodes for sure. You got uh, any final no, thoughts on I this am before we, very grateful we sign that off here, Sean? was released when it was. The, I, the two hours go by in the blink of an eye. I miss sports. And this is a great substitute right now, great learning yep. experience for, for us. It's cool to have schedule uh, appointment television again. <laughs> Some, yep. So we did it last week with the numbers. This is going to be a little bit outside of your realm, outside your wheelhouse. I think I'm going to stump you here, Sean. When Michael Jordan took his hiatus to go play baseball for the Chicago White Sox organization, who was his manager? Coffee down Black. Minor league ball. No way. <laughs> Terry Francona. Terry Francona. Yep. Something came out. I was reading something the other day that Terry Francona said that if Michael Jordan wouldn't have played basketball and would have focused right. on baseball, he would have right been now. one of the best outfielders of all time. <laughs> That's a, you know, everybody compares like LeBron with football. Like Jordan what could have been 
everybody thinks he was bad because of the space jam where he strikes out even when the catcher tells him what's coming i um, hate but that. he could he could play he had some promise I, um, I obviously wish i never heard that <laughs> quote <laughs> so just just something to think about that even old school right, athletes right. were two sport athletes so play multiple sports so thanks again sean for joining us today give us a follow chop shop sports and at nba chop shop on instagram website coming up soon sean really excited for that can't wait to to see your post turn to articles no you're excited for that too all right yeah man you have a great night everybody out there stay safe 